Well, welcome, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Arts Education in Maryland Schools celebration of National Arts and Education Week. Uh, my name is Kwani Floyd. I'm the Executive Director of AIMS. And with me, I have Alicia Lee from the Maryland State Department of Education's Fine Arts Office. And just to give you some background information, um, National Arts and Education Week was passed by Congress in 2010 as a part of the House Re Resolution 275, which designates that this week, beginning the second Sunday in September, is now known as National Arts and Education Week. So during this week, the field of arts education joins together in community communities across the country to tell the stories of the impact of arts education. This year, Ames is celebrating our educators from around the state of Maryland. Woo! We love our educators! Um, and so we will be having a series of conversations with amazing arts educators from around the state. Um, today, we have amazing, amazing, amazing dance educators. We have Emily Mall. We have Daryl pilot and we have Amanda Standard. Welcome, welcome. Can you all just do a brief introduction of yourselves, where you teach, um, the grade levels that you teach? Emily, how about we start with you? Sure. I teach in Anne Arundel County at Brooklyn Park Middle School and um, I teach all grades there, six, seven, and eight. I am our PVA uh, magnet, our performing and visual arts magnet teacher, as well as department chair for all of the art primes there. And I've been there for five years now. Yeah. Awesome. Amanda, how about yourself? Hi, everybody. Um, I am currently serving at Benjamin D. Malloy Creative and Performing Arts Academy. They make us say the D. And I am a dance educator there. We serve kindergarten through eighth grade. We have middle school dance majors, and then our K through five students get an opportunity to experience all arts inclusive of dance. And I've been there, oh man, um, this is my 10th year there. So yeah, I've been there. That's the longest I've been in the county. Yeah. That's awesome. Daryl, love to hear from you. Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Daryl Pilot. Uh, I am the dance teacher at High Point High School in Prince George's County. Uh, I teach ninth through 12th grade, and this is uh, the beginning of my fourth year here, so. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So I have a, a pretty complex question for you all just to start off with. Um, if you could define your work in one sentence, what would you call it? And Daryl, we'll start off with you since we ended with you. <laughs> in one sentence, hmm, my work gives me purpose and I hope brings purpose to the students and and the community in which I teach. Awesome, thank you. And Amanda, how about you? <laughs> I would say to positively influence generationally so that they are self-reflective, self-sustaining, that they may become 
influencers positively. Awesome. Thank you. And Emily, how about yourself? Uh, it's really hard for me to do anything in one sentence, but I will try. Um, my work and my goal with my work is to have my students have so many different perspectives and strategies and ideas at their disposal that they can accomplish whatever their goal may be, whether it is in dance or or not, but through dance. You know, I, I think um, it's so powerful to hear educators talk about their work. Um, people that are not educators may not understand how um, education is a calling. It's not a, it's not a job, right? And so what I hear you guys saying through your responses is, um, is not what we would typically expect if we're non-arts educators. For it to hear from a teacher, right, that you're not just, when you're seeing a student, Amanda, you're not just seeing the student in front of you, you're seeing generations beyond them um, and, the, and the investment that you're making in them in, in long term, beyond their even lifespan. Um, hearing from Daryl um, that he's not just looking at a student and seeing that student, he's seeing the entire community that is embracing that student, uplifting that student. He's seeing the village. And Amanda is seeing uh, her dance strategies or her learning strategies or artistic strategies as a tool for unlocking life's problems, right? And so that's such a huge piece. And I just always want to point that out, that educators um, know this to be true, but that for, you know, for people that may not be as familiar with our community, um, they may not understand the value that we have in the art making beyond the performance, beyond the creation of work that we're, this really feels like life affirming work that affirms us personally as, as people. And of course the communities and generations beyond that. What, what a beautiful way to, to start our conversation about movement <laughs> and the way that we guide students in learning more about their bodies and, and expressing themselves through movement. So incredible. Thank you. Awesome. So as uh, kind of piggybacking off of what Alicia said that, you know, teaching is your calling, educating is your calling. Why did you all become arts educators, specifically dance educators? Uh, and Amanda, I'll get started with you. Um, I went to high school. I was a dance major in high school, LaGuardia High School of the Arts in New York. And um but I also had a love for science. And so when everybody went to dance, I said, I think I need to go to an undergraduate program and pursue uh, medicine and I'll dance on the side, you know, because I wanted to do the science thing. And um, my experiences being torn between two loves, feeling like a fool, when I realized that I couldn't be I wouldn't what be great. A what a great saying, Amanda. <laughs> I was because I wanted to, I wanted to be, do pediatrics, but I was so empathetic that I felt like I would be the doctor crying with the child, and the um, you know, they're broken up, broken too, and I said, no, it's not going to work. And so I realized that as I was matriculating through school, and so I made the decision to teach 
honestly, because people hated science. They were so bored. So when I started teaching, guess what I used to get the point across? Dance. Oh, wow. And that is what made this thing like balloon and emerge and dance is a science and people don't realize that it's a science and they don't realize the academic of the art and how we were able to use that in order to get people to understand everything. So yeah, I had one of those weird stories when it came to arts education because I'm an artist and I realized that everything that we're doing content wise is still art too. So I like to unlock that. Yeah, I get I get joy out of that and get all shimmy. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, and the shimmy. I love that. <laughs> Emily, why did you get started um, as an arts educator? Well, it was a long, meandering path to get there. Um, th- what Alicia said that it is the calling... It was a calling, but I didn't listen for a while. Um, My mother was a teacher, and she taught middle school English for 30 years, and everybody would say, oh, Emily, are you going to be a teacher? Like, And I was like, no. Are you kidding? No. I see what they put up with. I know what they get paid. I am not doing that nonsense. And so I went away to college, and I kept dancing, but I went away – and I majored in political science for a couple of years because, you know, what is politics if not theater? And um, then I, I kept dancing on the side and I'm like, I just need to, to dis- I need to do something and just try it. And if it doesn't work out, then so be it. So I changed majors and I did graduate with a major in dance. Um, and I performed for a f- a few years in Las Vegas, and that was really awesome. I loved my time performing, but it got to be draining and where it wore me down. And I'm like, okay, I need, I need to do something else, but there is nothing else for me to do. Like, this is me. What else do I do? So I teach. Um, my first teaching job in a public school was in Florida. Uh, We had moved away from Las Vegas, my family and I, and I got a job at a studio. And then I noticed all these schools, my husband is also a teacher, all these schools that he went to, they all have dance teachers. And I'm like, what is, what is this? What is this? This is something I can do. Okay. I can do this. Tell me what to do. I'll take the classes. I'll take the tests. And it, within a year, I got my first K through 12 job and that was 10 years ago, and I am just so grateful I found that path. That's amazing. Um, I just have to say, when Amanda said science, that triggered my brain that Amanda brought her students to the Best of Maryland Arts Education Festival. Yes, two years ago, and they performed a piece about the elements, Right. And I had the opportunity to talk to them. They performed a piece. It was a beautiful, beautiful choreography. But then each student had learned so much about their element that they had created characters based on the natural properties of these elements. And you could talk to each student, every single one, 
who they could tell you everything about their element, but also how their element reacted, would react in combination with someone else, right? So I remember having this wonderful conversation with Gold, <laughs> who, uh, about how and why she didn't like other elements and what would happen if she came in contact with this and how she was, you know, I mean, just really detailed way. It was theatrical, right? And using really theater and dance to help these kids not just understand the elements, elements, but embody them, the scientific periodic table. They were living it and breathing it. So when you said science, I was like, I remember your face now. <laughs> Amazing work that you've done with your students. And you were able to be you know, featured at our Best of Maryland Arts Education Festival, which is that statewide arts student exhibition. But I remember your students so vividly. And those were young students, weren't they? How old were those students? Middle school? Yeah, they're middle school. They were and lots of boys. Yeah, I had two, three boys, Matthew, Kaylin, and Samuel. That Incredible. Year. So just kudos to you for that work of not just helping students understand science, but how excited they were to talk to a stranger, a very loud stranger, about the elements, about the periodic table. And they had so much enthusiasm and, and pride in knowing so much about their element, but other, also other elements. I had really never heard anybody talk about the periodic table so excitedly ever in my entire life. So that really left a strong impression on me of the power of your teaching and your experience um, with those students and the power of dance to really activate students' minds to be so creative. So Daryl, now we're off to you. Will you tell us about how you became a teacher and why you became a teacher? Yeah, um, so um, it's an interesting, always an interesting story. So I, I kind of fell in love with just the art of teaching as a young kid. Like I remembered being uh, like five years old, begging my parents for Christmas that I wanted a chalkboard. Um, and so I would line up my stuffed animals on the couch and I would take attendance like Winnie the Pooh, you're here. <laughs> you're here. And I made an, a roll sheet and I and anything I learned in school, I taught them uh, with my chalkboard. So I, I feel like I've always had a passion for teaching, but um, also just growing up in my household, I always just felt like as a young child, just my cousins, when we would go visit my grandmother in Mississippi, like we were the entertainment for the adults, right? Like we were always putting on shows and singing and dancing. And so there was always this element of performance that I think as a young child that I enjoyed. And um, I, I did dance a little bit in, in high school, but I also went to college as a radiation therapy major. <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and like Amanda, I just thought, like, I don't know if I could be in that room with those patients. Like, I, we would all be crying together. <laughs> um, and so I, I took a couple of classes at Texas. I went to Texas State University. I'm originally from Texas. Uh, took some class, dance classes at Texas State, and I had a lot of, stu uh, of my fellow students or fellow classmates that were like, why, why are you not a dance major? Why are you not a dance major? And I just thought, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do radiation therapy. That's my thing. And then I ended up actually switching to health administration um, through that. Anyway, anyhow, I have a degree in dance, a BS in dance and a minor in health administration that I use never. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't, it's it's always I guess have come back to that love of performance, that love of movement, that love of just teaching that I think just really drew me um, to being a dance teacher. Now I, I I can't even imagine doing anything else. And I and I also got a 
an MBA that I also was like, what am I using that for? I probably won't, but because uh, I, I can't. Artists are so brilliant. You know what I mean? You, you'll never find this among, but artists tend to have, you know, deep reservoirs of knowledge in a lot of areas. Um, mm-hmm. To have an MBA and have, you know, almost graduate the radiation and health administration and dance. You know, that's that artist brain, that creativity that you're able to conquer and break things into parts. Right. And you can learn anything. If you can, if you can, if you're an artist, you can learn anything. You've mastered your own brain in a way. So you feel confident to learn anything. Will you guys tell us, I, I've heard, um, I come from a long line of teachers and educators in my family. And we always say that people that have become teachers uh, were inspired by a teacher who moved mountains for them or by a teacher who was awful. <laughs> Will you talk to us about your inspiration? Who were some of your inspirations um, that allowed you to, um, when you even maybe when you looked back and said, you know what, this was a, a teacher that really um, made me think about teaching in a, in a special way. And it could have been positive or maybe not. Let's start with, I see some nods. Let's start with Amanda. Well, I'll, there's so many, but um, who made me make that switch? Norma Williams uh, in genetics at um, Howard. Um, I had to take the class and it, the way that she broke the information down, she made it more palatable easy to understand or made you want to learn it and put it that way that's when i really fell in love with certain things um so i would say um miss williams for genetics and then kevin iaga jeff for movement he unlocked passion he unlocked uh purpose in your movement not just dancing because you're aesthetically pleasing to the eye, but he made you want to dig deep, you know, and do it and say something with it and change the audience mind and you had to breathe through everything. And so he had the, the largest influence on the quality of movement for me. And I, and I know that he's a huge influence because now I see children and now adults who look like him and I had him when I was a kid. So that's when, you know, you really know that a teacher has really impacted you because you get to see it cycle out. I tell him all the time, you know, he's not, if he heard this, he would go, she says it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I even had him come and teach this summer, some kids. And I was like, that's my dad. And they're like, your dad, you know, and because his influence was so great on me even when he you know raises his voice now i still straighten up like i was i was 10 you know because yeah <laughs> so he's had and, uh, that's that dna that's that intergenerational piece you've mm-hmm. seen it in your life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so you know the power that you have you're embodying that you know how important your role is mm-hmm. with teachers. um does anybody else want to plug want to plug a teacher before we move to the next question yeah emily sure um I was thinking about it and I'm really lucky that I've had amazing teachers my whole life. Like there's only been like a couple does. Um, but you know, even as an early 
like early childhood, my first dance teacher, like that can make or break a kid. And Miss Cindy, man, in Wyandotte, Michigan, she is still teaching. She could do no wrong in my eyes just because of her kindness and her warmth. Um, and she looked like Paula Abdul. Like, oh, she was. Sounds perfect. She was, she was perfect, honestly. Um, and somebody that I am grateful to have worked with and still get to work with today um, is Doug Reisner at Wayne State University. Um, he was uh, the chair of dance when I went there as an undergrad, and now he's a director of the graduate program there that I'm in. And just his knowledge and the way that he connects to what I'm doing and he can relate even though it's so different. Like I just, I want my students to feel that same connection. Yeah, I would have to agree with, with Emily. Like I think I've been fortunate enough to have from, you know, K through 12, even, you know, post-secondary to have uh, teachers and professors that have really just inspired me in, in many different ways. Um, but one that really kind of stands out is actually not a teacher of mine, but um, we were we were co-workers and I was, she was a director of a program. I was the assistant director for our dance program. Her name's Lori, Lori Woods. And it was just something about just her energy. She'd been at the school for, at that time, about 15 years. She really started that dance program. So her blood, sweat and tears is in it. And just her in, implicit, can't even say this word, her inclusiveness of all of her students. Uh, I think even bringing me in and including me and just accepting of, of all students, no matter where you came from, no matter what you looked like, no matter what your sexual orientation is, it was like you are a part of this organization. And I think that a lot of the things that she has done when I came over, uh, when I came here to Maryland to High Point, there's a lot of her influence that is in this program right now. And I think that um, I'm, I've been fortunate to be successful here because of a lot of the, the tools, just being inclusive and, and everybody can dance and everybody it belongs here. And I think that when students feel like I belong somewhere, um, I think they perform in all areas of their academic. So absolutely. Belonging is one of those key indicators that predict success, academic success. Right. Um, so that's so crucial. Wow. How wonderful to hear about a colleague, professors, early, early teachers, you know, those beginning first step teachers, and then a teacher who um, Amanda is saying, and, and Daryl said the same thing, seeing that DNA flow through you, um, it would be like, you know, like seeing your grandmother's face on a new baby, right? It's like that same kind of amazing joy. Now, you know, the question everybody wants to know is about virtual learning. <laughs> what's happening? What are you guys seeing? You know, what are some ways that you're seeing sparks of, of creation and, and joy um, in these virtual settings? Um, I'm actually seeing um, a lot of, well, I, I saw it definitely when we were in person, but I'm excited to still see it virtually is the amount of collaboration that I'm seeing amongst my students, the amount of conversation that's still there, the amount of curiosity. Um, you know, there's there's one thing to have bodies in a space and to see bodies next to another body and 
even though you know you don't you're like don't look at everybody else just focus on yourself and but just the fact that there's the awareness so the so the awareness of each other and the curiosity that I've that I've seen in these last uh, two full weeks has, has been really refreshing um, for me and my students like I, I feel there's like this sigh of relief like oh it's still there like even though we're not together it's still functioning somewhat like it used to when we were in person so terrific what else you guys did um well i think i well i just had my first class with my little baby sixth graders today so that was wonderful because most things are wonderful with sixth grade um all of the students are a little bit hesitant to get into it even though they know me because we get to loop together year to year um I think they are excited about new ways of choreographing. Um, we haven't, I would sometimes do a project for like a dance for the camera, but not a full blown piece of choreography for seventh graders. So I think they're excited about learning different camera angles and um, different ways of lighting themselves. And I think this is a whole new realm that they are going to jump into. I feel like I have to plug some upcoming <laughs> training that we're doing that Daryl's a part of. I heard Dance for the Camera, where MSDE is producing um, a series of technology training, specifically looking at uh, performance, so looking at sharing and reflection. So Daryl is, um, is one of our facilitators. We're taking people from, if you're a beginner, you barely know how to use this cell phone to create something. We have a class for you on audio and video basics all the way through a four-week class of Dance for the Camera led by Lacey Shepard. So, um, you know, this is a real great opportunity. Of course, everything is free because that's the, my favorite price. And Kwanisa's favorite price, that's our favorite price, free 99 minus the 99 cents. And so that's a really great opportunity to come and get some more skills because that Dance for the Camera piece or even just um, making sure that we're able to offer students a beautiful performance, right? Like we normally do. <laughs> we always, you know, we invest, we invest a lot in these final, final performances. And so we want to make sure teachers feel confident about um, moving forward with those digital performances. Amanda, what's happening in your class with your students? How many weeks have you guys been together so far? Emily just started today. Yeah, we started, uh, Daryl and I started on the 31st. I think my greatest fear was meeting kindergarten for the first time online. I was just like, who? I felt like a first year teacher. I kid you not, because I said, I don't know what this is going to be like. Um, they were, as five-year-olds are, they don't care as long as they're having fun, you know? Um, so it was, it was great. I think the highlight for me is when I, said you got to go get your grown up and make them dance with you and um and they were tiptoeing around too uh, <laughs> i think i'm telling you hands down um the bonding that i am sure took place in some households was probably um probably a highlight for them as well i think that for our virtual my my personal concern is just, you know, not knowing the children 
not getting to connect to the children who might not have the accessibility. And PG has been really good about putting, um, having a television channel and putting the lessons up. And so my virtual experience is also the dance for the camera where you gotta pre-record this so that it's still valuable. So yeah, but I think the, the biggest thing is just watching new children coming into school and school looks so different to what it looked for for us and, and creating something that will be valuable for them. That's been the, in all of the areas, I think all of our ages, but I know the parents were probably more stressed out than us. <laughs> how that was cool. <laughs> my Facebook feed says that's the case <laughs> but also they um parents seem to be stressed but they also seem to be very great gra I'm grateful I see so much gratitude flowing from parents um Facebook pages you know my, just my friend my personal page is just saying I'm so grateful to the teachers I can see how hard they're working to make this um, all that it can be, right? It's not just it is what it is. Teachers are brilliant people and teachers are also, because this is a calling, teachers are so emotionally invested in um, and they understand their role so thoroughly in keeping kids inspired and engaged um, as an investment, right? As an investment in the world. And so I've seen so much gratitude, more so than we normally see just in September back to school, of course, at least 12 times as much. People just saying, I'm so grateful to my teacher. Kwanis, where should we go next? Um, I think we talked a little bit about the challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to figure out, like, how can we support you during this time? We're dealing with multiple epidemics. Um, uh, we're dealing with, you know, uh, dealing with racism in the United States, and we're also dealing with uh, COVID-19 um, and virtual learning, if you know that's not an epidemic. Um, but, you know, what are some things that we can do as people who are not, you know, in the classroom to help support the work that you all do every day? I'm, I'm going to start with, I, I have a, a number of different perspectives. I have a teenager. So, I hear his teachers, um, I am an educator, and then um, I also have friends, you know, that are parents, right? So I get all those pieces. I know for the, the teachers, it's the administration related to the virtual learning. We all feel like we need an administrative assistant because we wanna teach. Right. And so there's all of these things, this checklist that's a scroll now. The stuff that you would normally come in, drop off a hard copy, every single thing has to go through a channel. And you meet through a channel and you got to check in. And I think trying to find some kind of, um, and I don't even know if it can be systemic just some kind of way to help the educator administrate the process so that they can do what they are called to do, which is teach. Because once you get bogged down with all of that stuff, it makes it difficult then to just engage, you know, in the content that you're trying to get across to the student. I, and I just listening to 
and I guess Daryl, you can you can say yay or nay. I think that that's like the heart cry that I've been hearing from my colleagues. It's like this is too much. You know, they feel like it's too much because they want to get to the content, but they got to check this off, this off, this off, this off. This has to go here, 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 here before you can get to here. I want to do a piece about it. <laughs> we gonna call it. Help us yes, gotta help us understand it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, yeah. No, I agree. I Yes, definitely the administration of the virtual learning, I think, has been daunting uh, for a lot of us. And I, and I yes, I, I'm, all I can say is yes, yes, yes. I think that, you know, even patients from the from the community, right? To know that like, I know for, for at least for my campus, you know, there and even for our county and Amanda, you can also chime in on this too. It seemed like sometimes one week you heard something, the next week you heard, a, you heard it, but it was slightly different. And the week after that you heard it, but it was slightly different again. And then it was slightly different. And you know, we're all like my, my principal always said, I need you to pack your patience. I just need you to pack your patience. And it's like, you know, that is so that's so true. And it's like, you know, us as teachers, yes, we are we are definitely doing that. But that needs to be the village, the community, the students. We all have to really pack those patients in and just know that mm. we're all are we're all coming from the same starting place. You know, no one is at a a more advantage than the other, you know. So it's it's um, it's just going to take work, you know, and I, and I try to, you know, express that to my students and, you know, to my administration, you know, that, you know, this is all going to, we're all in this together. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to third what both Daryl and Amanda said. Um, and I know that most of what I'm getting is not me being micromanaged. It's just what has to be done. Um, you know, an example that I talked about with a colleague today, you know, I come into work and I set up my slides for the day. So my sixth graders, this is their question and their outcome and our agenda. And it would just be one slide presentation and I would just go through them. Well, now that we each have our own Google classrooms, I have to separate them. So now the sixth grade ones have to get pulled out and uploaded and then seventh uploaded. And then I have to edit. And so it's, just adding so many steps. Um, you know, on, on some, on these days, we put our attendance in the power school, but on this day, we only put it in the Google classroom and it is very confusing. Mm. So I'm piggybacking off of what Daryl said. Um, I need my colleagues and my administrators, um, and students and parents to just have an open mind and to have um, grace, I'm not asking for false positivity. I'm not expecting parents to tell their kids, this is going to be the best year ever. And you guys, it's going to be so much better. And you, everything is going to be awesome. But rather, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Just stay calm. Listen to Miss Small. We got this together. Um, I... You guys were talking about seeing posts on Facebook. I actually um, took a break and deactivated my Facebook because I was really going down a negative rabbit hole seeing so many comments. Yeah. And 
I cannot stop myself from reading them. That is a, uh, I have poor self-control regarding that. So just seeing both viewpoints, um, or I don't understand both viewpoints, but seeing both viewpoints from certain groups of parents can be really uplifting or really draining. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of that, um, um, I think it's uh, Mr. Rogers quote, you know, when things are, are, when there's a tragedy, we have to look for the helpers, right? And so it's hard on Facebook sometimes to look for the helpers because Mark Zuckerberg, his uh, algorithm don't, doesn't account for that. Anyway. Um, but I think, you know, what we're seeing is so many teachers showing up, pushing through, trying to figure this out. Of course, we see wonderful, our, you know, wonderful colleagues at Central Office all across the state really trying to work hard to support teachers and understand the technology that's needed, trying to make, there's just, everyone is really um, working at full capacity to make this time perhaps the best year ever. I don't know, you know, Um, but one thing I think really interestingly enough is, um, is that, is that the positivity I'm seeing, the silver lining is still very present. I don't hear a lot of stories of people giving up on the news or something that might be happening, right? But when I actually talk to people, I hear teachers saying, I'm learning new things. I'm figuring out what I don't know. I'm learning new technology. I spent the summer learning, setting up my, setting up my basement as a dance studio. <laughs> and, um, you know, I hear these amazing stories of triumph from teachers. And that's really, for me, what we all expected teachers to do was to come through. So, um, and then of course our students who we know, you know, I'm always telling people, our students don't need to learn grit. They already know how to, students and young people are so resilient. And so we're seeing that playing itself out. I mean, kids um, are responding and they're doing all of this in spite of a, you know, a, a pandemic, a double pandemic that none of us can under really fully understand. You know, we still are in this place where we are walking on a tightrope that maybe sometimes is made of licorice. You know, it's like, it's very unclear what we're dealing with. What we're experiencing is unclear. I can't really call it what it, you know, I, nobody can. So um, I, I just salute all of you three, you three in particular for showing up today, but all of our teachers, and I guess today, Monday, we're just saluting dance educators. Mm-hmm. We'll salute the rest of y'all later. But for really engaging students through devices to create this experience where people feel like they are together and they're not. Right. In reality, in reality, you are dancing alone in a room. <laughs> and, um, and students are saying they feel like they're seeing their friends. They feel like they choreographed a piece collaboratively with people. Um, and so that is the magic that you guys are bringing because technology doesn't do that. Human beings have to activate that magic through these devices. And so you guys are doing incredible things through odds that, again, we still haven't, we don't, still don't understand what the odds are. So I know we only have two minutes left. Right. Are so, we here final advice? Yeah. Or, well, we actually have 10 minutes left. 
12 minutes. Oh, ago. okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, just to kind of piggyback off of this conversation. So we talked about ways that like parents can support, you know, how you all need some type of like administrative support, handling all of these different, you know, channels for, for uh, technology. But if there was uh, support that can come from you know, legislators or district leaders, what would you, what would you ask for, honestly? Because, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot of the, the, the comment section, right? You go down the, the rabbit hole of the comment section and you see this culture, a subculture that's almost like very divisive in a way. But, you know, and I think that culture comes from policy, honestly. So what are some things that you all can see, like, or can, if there was a, a, a state representative in front of you today, what would you ask them in regards to supporting educators? Well, I would say, um, you know, I think that we, we are definitely leaps and bounds from where we were in March. Um, and I think that we are definitely on the right track. Um, not even just with, not just with the pandemic, but also just with the way we are handling, handling uh, virtual learning. Um, and, you know, with the hopes that eventually we will be able to all be back together in our classrooms and with our students. Um, in particular to dance education and arts education, you know, just emphasizing the importance of it, you know, not, I mean, especially, you know, I think, hmm, trying to think of a, the PC <laughs> for this, but knowing that, you know, whatever happens next year, and I know that, you know, there were lots of funds that were used to make sure that we would get through this year and, and whatnot, but just one, wanting to still voice the importance and the, the need for arts education, you know, not only with what is in place in schools, but the, the fact that we continue to need more, you know, like it's not enough just to have maybe what you have, but that, you know, the, the support for arts education, um, is is or the need for art education is still prevalent in in all levels in all schools even even post pandemic um i i agree i think um miss lee when you when you raised the excitement about the periodic table of elements that was part of my my motivation getting people to understand that that art is not a recreational piece it's actually the fuel for sustainability for community and policy makers and policy developers have to understand the power of the process and because they look at what we produce, and it's so amazing. Oh, the kids are lovely. They don't realize all that's gained life application through the process. And that's the trying to write the policy so that they understand. And because it's on paper, we almost have to show you. And I think our best example of showing 
what the policy should look like came from Hamilton. Because you have student bodies who can't stand history. You can't ask them to do anything when it comes to history, but they know the entire soundtrack. And when you ask them information and ask them questions, they know who this character is and they know what they did over there in the United States and they know what they did over there in Europe. They know everything. And I just look at the kids and I go, and I'm listening. They know everything because of the way or the lens that they saw it through or how they heard it, or which caused them to experience it. And like you said, embody it. If we could get the policymakers to change their lens, we would have a different outcome. And I think it's the, the people who will pass it would understand it better if it was physically embodied. And then they say, this is what we were talking about. Did you catch that? Now look. And then you go, oh, oh, that's because you spent all that money to go see Hamilton, but you don't think that the arts are valuable. That makes no sense to me <laughs> because you, you policymaker, went all the way to Broadway and spent $300 for a ticket. If, sure you're, lucky, if you're lucky, you spent $300. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And I think that if... Um, when we talk about, you know, all of the isms and all of the issues, if we could tap into our creativity and pull the policy into a place where people can see it embodied, I think that we will have a better opportunity to expand how they think when it comes to what this does for us academically. If we look through the look to the academics through the artistic lens, it locks it in for life. We know that because we still sing our ABCs. That's our best example. You ask the babies what's their ABCs, they don't say it, they sing it. And that's our one of our best, you know, ways of, of being able to change um the trajectory of thought. Because you know, they just think we just ball around in the atmosphere aimlessly. They don't think we think. <laughs> right. That critical thinking, that problem solving. Emily, go ahead. Thank you. So I think you kind of put something into words that I've been mulling over, Amanda. Um, so I would, I would love to tell the policymakers about the process over the product. I also think and I don't know how to do this, so whoever can know how to do this should do it. But I need them to understand that that they need to listen to kids. <laughs> they need to listen and not – they need to listen to what they need, not tell them what they need. Um, especially in times like this um, when there are – emotions and feelings that they may never have encountered before. How do they deal with it? How do they deal with it behind a screen? They create things. They express themselves through movement or voice or painting or any, whatever their art form may be. Um, you know, I think a big, 
a, a switch got flipped in my teaching in the first couple of years, I would plan meticulously. This is what I am going to do. This is what I am going to do next. This is what I am going to do. But what if that wasn't what they needed that day? So I still plan meticulously. I have <laughs> my meticulous plans, but I'm, I'm trying to listen to what they need and not tell them what they need. Mm. Snaps, snaps, right? And that's what a master teacher does. I think one of the hardest lessons a new teacher has to learn is to see the students. <laughs> it's like, do you, do you see them? They're human beings in front of you. And for a while, when you're a new teacher, you don't see the students. You're seeing all the other things you have to do. But that is beautiful. So if we could pass that lesson on as educators. You have to see the people in front of you that um, that you're you have a vow to represent, right? Um, so that you can serve them better. Wow, that's fantastic. So we, I, what I'm hearing is we need to we need to we need more opportunities for student voice to reach adult ears. You know, I think it's transformative for a person who doesn't interact with students in this way to hear from Amanda students about, to see them so excited about the periodic table. That's something, that's a transformative experience for them for as students, but also for any adult encountering them. And I'm sure for Daryl students and Emily students, those moments are happening all the time. You guys are seeing them. <laughs> you guys are saying all the time, you're like, yes, of course they're transformed. We're in class, yes. Um, <laughs> but um, for, for our leaders to see those transformations and understand the depth of, of knowledge and the depth of creativity and critical thinking, the height of, cre- of critical thinking that's occurring every day in these dance classes, in your dance classes and the dance classes all across the state. We got to hear from students. So that, that seems like a, a beautiful um, thing for us to take away from, from tonight. That's awesome. And then I just have one final question. Um, since you all are master educators and, you know, you do amazing work around the state with our students, what is a word of advice that you would give to future arts educators or future dance educators who are currently in undergrad, you know, going through the dance education program at whatever institution that they're going to, um, hoping to go into a public school system when they graduate, you know, what's, what's a word of advice you would give to them? I'll go first. I have two. Um, One might seem humorous, but I'm not being silly. Um, First one, ask for help when you need it. Don't be shy. Like nobody, that's a dumb question. I don't know. It'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Just ask. Who cares? Then you'll know the answer. Um, And the second one, stretch with the kids and demonstrate things on both sides. You don't want to be all lopsided. (laughs) That advice plays in, in across arts disciplines, okay? Stretch with the kids so you, you don't wind up lopsided. That plays across everything. Fantastic. I would say um, trust the, the season you're serving in. You know, there are some things that we got textbook in the 
you know, in our training that honestly, with what we have currently experienced, unfortunately, it's obsolete. And um, so the B clause of that would be trust your creativity, trust your gut when it comes to the audience that you're serving because their needs are going to be based on how they have to apply that information to be meaningful for them for that season. And then the season that they, they're, they're walking into. Um, we were talking about the policies and I just remember we did um, for our nine week students, we went through policy when we had the big thing with Betsy DeVos. And we did, we called her Corella DeVoe. But we were doing that so that they could, we wanted them to learn what the, the fuss was about, right? They created a whole parody and, and all kinds of things and all of the stories and what have you, but the kids were able to regurgitate. And I guess, what's that, three, three years ago? Maybe three, four years ago? And, you know, they were able to do that and that was a seasonal conversation. We didn't, you know, plan that in our curriculum. It was the kids wanted to know what the big deal was. We had a conversation about it. And we, Ms. Barnes and I looked at each other and said, they need to learn about policy so they can stop, you know, so we can stop complaining and they can understand what's happening. And as a, as a young teacher, you tend to um, question yourself because you feel like you haven't been doing it a long time, but you are set aside for this season. So that would be my best advice. That's powerful. It is very powerful. Yeah. That's powerful advice. Take take that to the bank. That's powerful advice. <laughs> That's powerful advice for artists as well, for practicing artists, not just educators. You know, we have to, Nina Simone says, we our job is to represent the times. Yep. And so when we're not seeing that, even in education, it's, it's okay to, Trust your gut and let these kids express about their lived experience and learn more about how they can change the world. Wow. All right, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> Two great answers. <laughs> um, so I had a student teacher for the very first time um, last fall, which was really fun um, to just, you know, to see another young person really interested or intrigued in the um, in the art of education and, and, and in dance. And so um, if I could give her an advice, and she was already really great at that, and so I, I, didn't, I really didn't have to give that to her, but if there was someone else out there, um, you know, I always like to at least let my children, let my children, I see I call them my children, let my students. <laughs> I do the same thing. My children, let my students, you know, know who I am as a person. You know, I am somebody who I don't live in this building. I don't live at this desk. I go to the grocery store. I have a family at home. I do things on the weekend. Um, so I always try to make sure that they know that I am a, I am a human being and I am a person and that I try to find ways to connect with them as a person, um, you know, I, as you can see behind me, I have tons of pictures of friends and family. So, you know, it's always nice for them to come up and ask, who's that in that picture? Who is that? And so just to kind of let them know that I have people that are very close to me too, that although I don't get to see them very often, but you know, I want to have them up 
in my room. So I think just always letting your students know that, you know, you're, you're a human being, you're a person. And I think they find ways to connect with you more. Bringing the humanity, bringing your total self to work, right? Wow, you guys are giving out. First of all, we should have charged for this. <laughs> these are life gems. You know, these ideas are incredible. That idea of bringing your, the totality of yourself. I feel like that's almost a, an encapsulation of everything we just heard. Like bring, bring your whole self to your work and then expect your students to do the same. You know, so you respond to the moment, see the kids in front of you, respond to the moment the, when you feel an idea on your heart, even if it's a little, it makes you feel a little nervous, move forward with it. Listen to the students, all of these, these are, these are teacher gems. And um, we're so lucky to have you guys here in Maryland with our students. Um, Kwanisa and I often say everywhere we go, Maryland has the best creative education force in the world and you three are a testament to that teachers who believe strongly in their own power and are showing up so big for their students day after day after day and um so i salute you celebrating our teachers powerful wow what a great afternoon evening yes thank you all for joining us that was great great conversation um, if for those of who might be watching us, we have more of these amazing discussions for the remainder of the week tomorrow. More? That's exciting! We get to do more of this. Oh, I can't wait. So tomorrow we have media arts. Wednesday music. Thursday theater, and Friday we're ending with visual arts. Ooh. Happy National Arts and Education Week, Maryland teachers. We love you. Thank you.